Father, we love you. We thank you so much for your son and for his name. That in the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that you are Lord. God, as we just open up this time of getting into your word, I just pray that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. Well, good morning and welcome to Propel Church. My name is Pastor Nick Newman, and I want to say welcome to each and every single one of you today, especially if you're a first-time guest with us. We don't take it lightly that you chose to spend Sunday morning with us, so thank you so much for entrusting us with your Sunday. If you need anything throughout the worship experience, find somebody with the I'm Here to Serve shirt, and they would love to help you out. Or maybe you want to get to know a little bit more about Propel, you can simply fill out that Connect card and stop by the Welcome Center. We would love to give you a gift and you get to find out so much more about Propel Church, why we exist and why we're created. We love that you're here this morning. I believe that God has some incredible things in store. Before I tell you about this morning, I want you to go ahead and mark your calendar for next Thursday, July 25th, because we are going to be doing a reno day in the church offices. It's a Thursday morning from 9 a.m. to 12 p.m. We're getting our offices ready because we are moving out of the current offices that we have into the office space in what will be our future home. So we're excited for that. If you're available next Thursday, we'd love to have you come work with us for a couple of hours. This morning, I am not with you in person. I am teaching at Nikeo Church in South Charlotte with Pastor Brian and Tamika Dooley. And I am so excited and honored to be there. This morning, you have a special treat though. Uh, back at the end of the year, we did this thing called Five in Five which is where we give five communicators five minutes apiece, and they killed it. This morning, you have the opportunity to sit through what I like to call a four in seven. So four communicators, seven minutes apiece. These communicators are part of our leadership team here at Propel Church. And I fully believe, as I was praying through what this weekend looked like for you, um, that what God wanted to show you and I are the powerful female voices that we have sitting in leadership here at Propel Church. Those who lead at some capacity, at high capacity. And, and I thought, man, uh, we live in a world where some people believe that women can't do what men do. We live in a world where people believe uh, that women can't preach. And I just don't think that lines up with scripture and what we see God use women for all the time. And so this morning you have the opportunity to hear from four communicators that have seven minutes apiece. Here's some ground rules for this morning. Number one, you need to amen louder than ever. So go ahead and practice. Turn to somebody around you and say amen. Turn to another person and say preach. And as these communicators are delivering God's word, I want you to amen the house down. It's encouraging for them and it builds their faith up as they deliver God's word to you. The second thing is they have seven minutes. And so you're going to see a countdown clock on the screen. When they get to 10 seconds, I want you to say back to them, 10, 9, and help them count down because they're going to transition into the next communicator. And last, would you just help me honor and welcome the first communicator of this morning, Kathy Starnes. 
Good morning, Propel Church. Hey, I would like to start out, if you guys would help me, I'd like to honor Pastor Nick. You know, Pastor Nick doesn't have to share this stage, but he does. Because he believes in the value of bringing up communicators. That actually ties into one of our core values out there on those banners. It says, we equip leaders. Pastor Nick knows that the more people who can effectively communicate God's word, then the more people are going to hear God's word. And the more people who hear God's word, then the more lives that are going to be changed. So will you guys help me honor Pastor Nick here for just a second? He's not here this morning, but he's going to be watching this later. So thank you for that. So the invitation to speak on stage sparked an excitement in me. I love being in the spotlight. (laughs) Y'all, studies show that the number one fear that people list is the fear of public speaking. More than death, people are afraid of doing this right here. Not your girl. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) You guys give me a microphone, I will talk all day long. They have that timer on there for me, okay? So as I started preparing for today and thinking about different topics that I could speak on, um, I went through a whole list. And like I was thinking, well, I could talk on this topic right here, and these people would be really glad I talked about that. Or I could talk about this topic over here, and, and these people would be really impressed with all of my biblical knowledge. Or maybe I could talk on this topic, and I could probably make that really entertaining, and everyone would laugh, and it would be entertaining. And, and if I did a good job, Pastor Nick might let me teach again. And while I was going through all of that, God stopped me right in my tracks, and he said, motives matter. It matters why you do what you do, parentheses, Kathy, because that's what he said to me in that moment. So I want to talk about a motivator that some of us struggle with, and that motivator is people-pleasing. Now, this is one of those sin issues that sometimes sneaks in that you don't even know that it's happening, like a lot of sin issues do. And you might say you don't have a problem with people pleasing. You might say things like, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. You might say things like, I don't have to please anybody but God, wife, husband, whoever, all right? You might, you might think that that's not one. But I have put together a few indicators that people pleasing might be an issue for you. I've entitled them, You Might Be a People Pleaser If. Hang on. So, you might be a people pleaser if you have ever agreed with people to avoid sounding argumentative. Have you ever been in a meeting at a table with like four or five people and everyone at the table had an idea that they thought it was a great idea and you didn't think it was a great idea, but you didn't say anything because you didn't want to be that person who didn't write. So, you might be a people pleaser if that's ever happened to you. Or, have you ever had trouble saying no And before you answer that question, answer this question. Is your calendar full? When someone asks you, how was your week last week, do you say, busy? Is that always the answer? Because if that's the case, you might be a people pleaser. You might be a people pleaser if you ever didn't admit it when your feelings were hurt. Because you wanted to avoid that confrontation. Or... Have you ever made jokes in an uncomfortable situation because being uncomfortable is hard and when people laugh, it makes you happy and feel good? Because if you did, you might be a people pleaser. Okay, so I don't want anybody else here to raise your hands, okay? Because this is, this is, now that we've identified there's at least one people pleaser in the room, 
if there's anyone else out there that struggles with this as well, I want you to know there is hope. There's something good coming, okay? So I want you to know, first of all, you can be boldly humble. You know, false humility isn't really even humility at all. It's really just more people-pleasing. Pastor Nick actually talked about this a couple weeks ago in his I am the donkey message. If you didn't hear that, I really encourage you to go back and listen to it. But he talked about the inability to take a compliment. In Ephesians 2.10, it says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to, say it with me, do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He wants us to do good things. He prepared us to do good things. He created us to do good things. It's okay to be bold in that, with humility, of course. That's a whole other message. All right. <laughs> Second thing I want you to take with you today is God desires greatness in us, but it's not for us. He desires greatness in our lives so that we can glorify him. He wants us to do all those things that make us great. He wants us to crush it in business. He wants us to be proficient speakers or writers or excel in sports, if that's your thing. I don't sport. He wants you to be an amazing parent or spouse or whatever greatness looks like to you. He wants you to be great in that. But it's not for us. It's for him. Now, I do want to throw a disclaimer out here because as I started teaching this, it, God is, the greatness is not for us might sound like God is not for us, but that's not true. God is absolutely for us. And as a matter of fact, in Ezekiel 36, 9, it says, look, I'm on your side. He is on our side, but he doesn't build us up in all that greatness in us for us. He does it for him. So Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, this, this first verse, 3, 20, is kind of our, our, our life verse right now at Propel Church as we're in this season of more right now. And it says in 3, 20, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, then 21 says, To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. He wants us to be great, but it's for him. So what do we do? We ask God to reveal our motives. We pray, God, am I working to please people? Or am I working to glorify God? Am I working to earn approval? Or am I working to build your kingdom? Motives matter. Well, good morning, y'all. My name is Carly, and I am honored and excited to be here. I am so excited to deliver this word that God's given me. I'm going to jump right in. I want to read a passage of scripture out of Luke, where we find a man that I think we can all relate to. So I'm going to get started in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 27. It says, as Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in the tombs outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and fell down in front of him. Then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus? Son of the Most High God, please, I beg you, don't torture me. I think we've all been there, right? We've all found ourselves at this point, at the lowest of lows, 
completely miserable, desperate for God to do something. And I think sometimes in those lows, it's a lot easier to just stay there. That's where this man is. He feels like it's just so much easier if Jesus just wouldn't interfere and let him stay there being miserable. But good news, God doesn't care if you want him. He's going to show up anyway, and he's going to do something good. So let's keep reading. In verse 29, it says, for Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. The spirit had often taken control of the man. Even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, what is your name? Legion, he replied, for he was filled with many demons. So a quick side note here. Legion is a term for 6,000 Roman soldiers. That's a lot of soldiers, right? Well, Jay-Z had 99 problems, but this dude had 6,000. That's a lot. A couple of y'all got that. You're tracking with me. Let's keep going. In verse 31, it says, The demons that kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. There happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby, and the demons begged him to, not, to let them enter into the pigs. So Jesus gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw it, they fled to the nearby town and the surrounding countryside, spreading the news as they ran. Just watch what happens in this next verse. God does something so crazy, so big. It's so awesome. In verse 35, it says, people rushed out to see what had happened. A crowd soon gathered around Jesus, and they saw the man who had been freed from the demons. He was sitting at Jesus' feet, fully clothed and perfectly sane, and they were all afraid. What we see here is that Jesus did a complete work. He didn't leave this man in his mess. He restored him to something better than he was before. We find him sitting at the feet of Jesus, fully clothed and perfectly sane. Know that the version of you that exists after an encounter with Jesus is always better than the version of you before. If we keep reading in verse 36, it says, Then those who had seen what had happened told the others how the demon-possessed man had been healed. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away and leave them alone, for a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left, crossing back to the other side of the lake. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him home, saying, No, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town, proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. I think here it would be really easy to stop and think that it's harsh of Jesus to leave this man where he is. If we keep reading, we see that Jesus is going across the lake to a crowd of people who are awaiting his arrival. They are worshiping his name. And he's just going to leave this dude behind in this crowd, this village of people who is scared of Jesus, who sent this man away. But verse 39 puts it all into perspective. Jesus tells him, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. So he went all through the town proclaiming the great things Jesus had done for him. I think the first thing we have to learn here is that your suffering is an opportunity for God to grow you. Your suffering is an opportunity for God to grow you. This man, I would imagine that going back to his family, 
and talking to the same people that locked him away, put him in shackles, were afraid of him, I would imagine that's a little out of his comfort zone, right? That's a little scary. But I think a lot of times when God pulls you out of your comfort zone, he's pushing you further into your purpose. This man found purpose in sharing his story with others, in telling other people what God had done for him. Your suffering is an opportunity for God to grow you. If we keep reading, I think another thing we want to learn is that God wants to use your story for his glory. Do you catch that? He wants to use your story for his glory. Jesus doesn't tell this man just to go back to the life he lived before, to keep living in the mess, in the sin he was stuck in. He gives him specific instructions to tell others everything God has done for him. He gives him a purpose, and that purpose lives in the same pain that he was experiencing before he encountered Jesus. Your purpose can be found in sharing what God has done for you and with you with others. It wasn't all for nothing. The pain he experienced wasn't all for nothing. The pain you've experienced isn't for nothing. There is purpose in the pain, and it may not be pretty, but it does tell a story, and God wants to use that story for his glory. So for those of you that relate to the man at the beginning of the story, know that God hasn't forgotten you. He still is chasing after you and desires to restore you to something better than you were before. Know that he desires to bring you freedom from that current pain, and my hope is that you would turn to him and find that freedom in Christ. Some of you relate more to the man on the other side of the pain, right? Know that God isn't done with you yet. You still have purpose. He still desires to use you. So my hope is that you would find the courage to share what God's done in your life. He wants to use your story for his glory. Not for your, so not for your own glory, but for his. So find that courage to share your story. So good morning, my name's Allie, and I'm here to talk to two different types of people this morning. There's two different groups. And the first group I want to talk to this morning is those of you who came in and you are not sure about this God thing. Like someone invited you and you're here, but you're still trying to figure it out. One, we are so happy you are here. We absolutely believe that you can belong here long before you figure out God, long before you believe in. So thank you. And the other group of people is those of you who do believe in God, those of you who are putting Jesus at the center of your life. So because both groups of people, no matter where you are, I think that you still have fears and doubts and questions about the things that are going on in your life. And fears are very real. Sometimes fears are absolutely based in reality. Like if I climb a ladder, I could fall down. That's a real fear. That's reality. Or sometimes fears are based in semi-reality, like people who have a fear of spiders. Yes, somewhere in this world, there's a spider that could bite you and kill you, but it's not on this stage, right? So <laughs> we're going to be okay. That's, that's like a semi-reality fear. And then there's this third fear that people have, and it's absolutely not based in reality at all. And I actually have one of those. Um, I live in a house full of boys, and it is full of dirt and animals and, like, 
I can go outside and I'm used to it. I'll go outside and play with them and I can catch a frog and hold it in my hand. But if that frog is dead, like it's a five foot radius. I don't care what you tell me. I'm not, nope. And if my child picks up the frog, like stop, stop, nope, go away from me. I don't want any part of it. I don't care if it's not logical. That doesn't matter to me. It's my fear and you are not coming near me with a dead thing. And I think sometimes our fear of God is the same way. It's not logical. It doesn't make sense. But we're afraid to follow his plan. We're afraid to do what he's asked us to do. We're afraid to step out. And for some of you, I want to go through and prove to you, show you the history that God has followed through on his promises. So a few weeks ago, Tori talked to us about Moses and how God promised the Israelites that he would free them from slavery. And he did it. He made a promise. They followed the plan. He freed them. He did that. And some of y'all are sitting there and you still have this fear and this question and this doubt in your head. And you say, okay, well, that was the Old Testament. That was then. Okay, I'm going to tell you about my man, Peter. All right? Peter doubted. He had fears, he continued to sin, and he failed. And in the end, he was named Peter because the promise was that he would be a foundational piece of God's church. He was named Peter, he still sinned, and in the end, he came back and saved thousands of people. He went around preaching. He did what God told him he would do, despite everything. And y'all are still sitting there like, okay. That's then, and this is now, and you still want me to follow God's plan, and I don't see it. The honor that I have from the position I sit at here at Propel Church, I'm the executive director, and that also includes being over all of the finance. So from my perspective, I get to see things not everybody gets to see. So I want to tell you a little story about what happens when you follow God's plan. So in Malachi 3.10 says, Bring the full tenth into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of the armies. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. So if it's good enough for God, we believe it's good enough for us. And every year we do a tithe challenge. And we challenge people to tithe for 90 days and that if God doesn't bless you at the end of those 90 days, we will absolutely give you your money back. That's how much we trust God. So can I tell you that in my three years of this position, no one has ever done it and come to us at the end and said, hey, God didn't bless me. You should let that sink in. Nobody ever followed God's plan and tested him and said God didn't bless me at the end. That's, that's this year. That's right now. That is people in this room have followed his plan and they have been blessed by him. And I'm here to tell you that at the end of my life, when I go through things, I want to hear that same word in my life. I want to say, God blessed me. God did those things in my life. So no matter which of these two groups you're in, whether you believe in God or not, that fear that you have, it's like my fear of frogs. It's absolutely irrational. There is example after example after example, and yet you're still full of doubt. 
and you're still full of questions. So I want to share this last verse with you. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord and have made the Lord their hope and confidence. They are like trees planted along a riverbank with roots that reach deep into the water. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. See, those who trust in God are just like these trees. Their roots grow deep. They're not bothered. They're not worried about the times of drought because they've trusted in his plan. They know that they will be provided for just as we should know. So the facts are there and the fear is irrational. So then what do you do? You have to let it go. And it's one of the hardest things. You have to let it go and just trust God. Ask God to help you let it travel from the, the eight inches from your heart or from your head to your heart. It might be the longest travel it ever takes, but ask him for help so that you understand and you're able to let it go. So on your deathbed, that the thing you regret is not following God because he will bless you. Thank you. Whew. Well, before I get started, can we just honor and celebrate these ladies up here? Didn't they do an amazing job? I am so proud of each and every one of you. I love you so much. If you guys don't know, these ladies are my tribe. Like, we do life together, thick and thin. Like, this is, we get real. Um, and if, <laughs> if you don't have a tribe, you need to get a tribe because these ladies are so crucial to my life. And I'm so thankful for them. And I'm so proud of how well that they did. Y'all love you. So what's with this bowl I've been holding this whole time? Uh... I've, I'm sure everybody's heard that when life gives you lemons, you make lemonade. Here's the thing, though, about giving. Uh, there has to be a receiving into it. I have never voluntarily received anything that life has given me. Um, I don't think it's really that life gives us lemons as much as life, mm, I don't know, throws them at us. When we're not expecting it, out of nowhere, we get hit with a lemon from life. So I want to talk to you today about a woman named Naomi. Her story can be found in the book of Ruth. And in the first five verses of the very first chapter, we see Naomi gets hit with not one or two, but a bunch of lemons all at once. See, her and her husband left their town of Bethlehem, where their friends were, where their family was. With their two sons, they left and moved to Moab. Now, while they were there, there was a famine in the land. Naomi's husband died. Her sons got married to Moabite women, and then her sons died. So here she is, a widow with two daughters-in-law that are also widowed. There's a famine in the land. She can't take care of herself, much less her two daughters-in-law. So she has to leave and send them away and go back to where she came from. 
I think this is one of those life throws lemons at you moments. She's going along, living her life, and then out of nowhere, her husband dies. And then there's a famine in the land. And then not one, but both of her sons die. She's been hit and beat and bruised by the lemons of life. And now she's got to send the only other people in her life away. And one of them chooses to stay, Ruth. And you see the famous lines, where you go, I go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. And so, so Naomi and Ruth go back to Bethlehem. And here we pick up in verse 19. So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So much so that she changed her name. Now what's important here when she says, why call me Naomi, is because Naomi means pleasant. It means my delight. Mara means bitter. Because of the circumstances in her life, she literally changed her identity to match her circumstance. Instead of wanting to be known as pleasant, she wanted to be known as bitter. She had been thrown too many lemons in her life. She had to take steps backward. She had to go back. She had left Bethlehem, and now she has to go back. Not just without her husband, but without her sons. There's nothing that she could do to make a living in that time. And she changes her name to match her circumstances. Now, honestly, life's not always going to go your way. It's not always going to go my way. I've heard it said that life is 10% what happens to you and 90% about how you respond. So you can't control what happens to you in life, but you can control how you respond. Now, I'll be honest, I don't always respond well. Um, I yelled at the FedEx lady last week on the phone. <laughs> Not my, you know, best moment. I don't always respond well to the circumstances in my life. But here's what I've learned. That you can get bitter or you can get better, but you can't do both. When life throws you lemons, you have two options. You can get bitter or you can get better. But you can't do both. You can't do both. Like I said, one of Naomi's daughters-in-law went back with her, Ruth. Now, Naomi was sitting at home, not Naomi, but Mara. She was sitting at home in her bitterness, 
letting her circumstances define her identity. And Ruth said, no, I'm going to trust in the God that you serve because he can make my circumstances better. He's the one that defines me. He's the one that creates my identity. And she went out and of the very, very few women, when you look at the lineage of Jesus, it's so-and-so, son of so-and-so, son of so-and-so. It's just men, except for, I think it's three. And Ruth is one of them. Because she didn't sit in her bitterness and let her life and her identity be defined by the circumstances that she couldn't control. So what do we do? How do we respond? How should we respond? In Ephesians 4, verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you, along with all malice, and be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Now, I want to look at this for just a second, because those first few words, anger, wrath, shouting, slander, malice, those are all secondary emotions or responses to what has happened to us. Now, I believe those are secondary responses to bitterness that comes from unforgiveness. See, there's not some like magical person handing or throwing out lemons in life. No, there are people in your life that have hurt you. Coworkers, friends, family members, there are people that have hurt you. And if you see any of this in your life, any bitterness, I mean, if you see any anger, wrath, shouting, slander, malice that is coming out of your life, if you think about a tree, a tree has branches and a trunk and roots, anger, wrath, all that, those are just the branches. You can cut those down all day long. You can try and control your anger. You can try and control your wrath or your shouting or your slander. But if you don't get to the root of the issue, the tree still lives. So, so those things, anger and wrath and all that, are branches on a tree of bitterness that are rooted in unforgiveness. And I believe there are those of you in here today that when I said people hurt you, man, you know who. You had that name right here. And whether you know it or not, you let your unforgiveness towards them control your life. And today, you can make that change. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I wanna pray with you. I'm gonna ask you to think of that name and to pray this prayer we're going to pray a prayer of forgiveness toward the person or persons that have hurt you. So repeat after me. God, I have harbored unforgiveness in my heart. It has grown into bitterness, and I'm ready to let it go. I forgive and say their name. I forgive them for hurting me. I'm sorry for keeping this unforgiveness in me. And I ask you, God, to forgive me. And now this is the hard part. See, the verse said to be kind and compassionate to one another. So this part's going to be a little hard. 
And God, I ask you to bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, for some of you today, that last part of, of the verse in Ephesians that says, as God also forgave you in Christ, that part doesn't ring true for you because you haven't experienced the forgiveness of God in your own life. I'm here to tell you today that God sent his son, Jesus, to die on the cross so that he could take away all of your sins, all of your wrongdoings, past, present, future, all of them gone, wiped clean. You have a blank slate. And God rose him from the dead to bring you back into relationship with him. So with every head bowed and every eye closed again, if that's you today and you want to experience that forgiveness and that relationship, would you just lift your hand? Again, we're going to pray and I ask you if you would repeat after me. Say, Jesus, today I give you my life. I put my hope and trust in you. Thank you for dying in my place so that I could have new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, you guys can stand up and celebrate with those who just made decisions for Jesus. We're going to sing one more song called Place of Freedom, and the bridge says, There's no one that can bring me peace, that can wash me clean like you, Lord. There's nothing in this world that can free me. You saved my soul. Let's worship 